Racers Alley. Here I am today, uh, Alex, your host, and I have some very special guests. Uh, we've been talking about uh, local racers. Uh, you know, we had uh, 250 GP uh, champion Sergio Galvan here uh, last uh, couple of weeks ago, and today we're going to have an exceptional racer, Chucky Sorensen, who's an AMA racer, AFM racer, and currently back in the AFM with an very very unique motorcycle so we'll be back right shortly uh give us a couple minutes and i'll get right back to you thanks Celtic romance for you, and I thank you again for tuning in to MutinyRadio.fm this fine day. Happy St. Patrick's Day, everyone. I hope you're getting into a mood of celebration and joy and family and fun. Maybe you're out doing a pub crawl. Maybe you're out in Modesto doing Lucky Fest. I really hope you're out there at the gates. They open in 10 minutes. Check them out, and you can still get your tickets online. Go to LuckyFestModesto.com. Check out the entrance. So many different things going on, but the biggest part is the pub crawl. There's 25 pubs built from the ground up for one day only. You can have your choice. Guinness and Blue Moon and Red's Apple Ale. Of course, you have the celebration supported by 5150 Coors Light. Lead Copter Group, Kwin 97.7, 98.3, Cat Country, K Hop, All Pro Bail Bonds, 1041, The Hawk. So many different things going on, but go see my friends. Get there, downtown Modesto, entrance at 11th Street and L Street. Gates open at 3. Tickets at luckyfestmodesto.com. Go enjoy. Sorry about the music skipping a little bit ago. It got me stomping and it made the CD skip. All right. Thank you. Welcome again to Racers Alley. We have a 
great group of guests today. Uh, again, we mentioned uh, earlier Chucky Sorensen and Sergio Galvan, uh, both AMA and AFM 250 GP racers. Wade just walked in. Again, he ran a 250 GP as well uh, a couple of weeks ago. We had uh, actually Sergio and Wade here. And uh, Chucky, uh, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm uh, happy to uh, be on Racers Alley. I'm very glad to see you again. For a while, you know, we were, you take a break from racing and such, and life gets a little funny, but uh, all of us uh, seem to have come back. Well, Wade, actually, and Sergio have always been racing, as far as I know. And uh, so, anyhow, uh, Wade, welcome. How are you feeling? I'm hanging in there pretty good. Good. So, as far as uh, uh, Racers Alley today, uh, we're going to be just really discussing history and what it takes to run a 250 gp bike uh originally uh chucky i met you back in uh well uh, say 92 when we worked for dublin kawasaki honda with uh, doug meyer back in the day and um i was a very new rider uh, i just started racing a new racer actually in 1990 1991 and uh, by then, you've already had your pedigree. I mean, uh, you, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, were, were you an AFM racer in the early 90s? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I started off in AFM in 89 on 89. a uh, RZ350 and okay. um, did, uh, did a full season on that. And then I bought a uh, FZR400. And I only had that. I uh, injured my knee, and so it took me out for a full season in 1990. I only got to ride towards the end of it. And uh, at that same time is when I met Rich Oliver, and uh, he started uh, training with me, taking me to Kenny's ranch, and um, starting to learn to ride harder. And well, I immediately are- got rid of that, and I bought a '89 TZ250, and that was my that was my first 250. Well, that last minute was just so full of so much information packed in like two sentences. <laughs> Sorry. You know? It was like Kenny Roberts, the ranch. Yeah. Uh, so originally, you started in an RC350, which, you know, AFM back in the day, you, know, you, you ran what you ran, uh, you run, and um, the FCR400 was considered an excellent race bike at the time, which I actually ran between uh, 90 and 1998. Uh, which you gave me a lot of great uh, advice on. So that being said, uh, somehow after you got injured, you went up to a certain next level. Yeah, yeah. I think. Uh, I mean, I, I had real desire to uh, to do well in my racing, and I I was going to a community college at the time, and then I got to the point where I told my parents, I said, "Hey, I want to go do racing, and that's what I'm going to do." And um, and they're like, okay. Wow. That's and pretty awesome. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I think an interesting question for all of us here, I mean, it's what made us become a racer? I mean, I, I, I know in, in 89 is when that seed was planted for me. Um, Sergio, I believe you started racing in, in 97? 97. 97. And Wade obviously started racing since the beginning of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, I mean, we all have our, 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 our reasons uh, Chuck, did you find that you were gifted in motorcycling and from there just uh, went with it? Yeah, with as a kid, I was a total motorhead. I had a um, you know five-horsepower go-kart. Um, I bought my first car when I was 13. It didn't run. <laughs> then I built it till I was 16. And, uh, and then I dragged raced it at uh, Baylands Raceway. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> what type of car was it? It was a 67 Camaro Rally Sport, and it had a uh, 327 with a four-speed. Wow, uh, but it, it was pretty neat. But it w- would constantly break. It uh, reminded me of my Aprilia last year. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was the, that was the start of it. And then I realized that you could, uh, on a bike, you get on the track for an affordable price. You know, I actually I looked into dirt track car racing uh, locally, like you know, rally cars. Uh, no, day? no, it was more like stock cars. But um, it was uh, stuff they were doing at Antioch. And, and I was looking at the price of a car, and it was about 3000 Then you got to put, um, you know, another a season that's going to be more than that. Well, cars are four times as much as a bike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, I got my first bike, the RZ, and I crashed it on the street a couple times. Yes. Um, How trying- old were you back then? I was uh, I was 19. Okay, yeah, I got my first bike around like 21, 22. So yeah. we were all young and crazy back then. Yep. 
Yeah, but that's that's how it started, and um, the progression that you mentioned it really happened. Uh, you know, with getting to train with some of the best people in the in the business. Yes, the names. I mean, Oliver and Roberts. I mean, back in the day, there was you know a lot of stories about the ranch. And uh, basically, he would take all the proteges out there and make him into wonderful racers. I mean, yep. obviously, he had to see talent before you got out there. And then from there, I mean, if he had the grit, he was willing to train you and, and spend time. And, you yep. know, uh, there was kind of a program back in, uh, I want to say, at the time where, you know, America racing, there were there were people, there was, I think, more support than there is nowadays. There, there was more yeah, programs. It was different. Yeah. Yeah, definitely different. You know, as far as uh, 252 strokes, you've all have run them. I mean, compared to regular bikes, you all seem to have a, a love for them. I mean, can you can you tell me, uh, Wade and Sergio, is there is there so, is there a reason that they makes them so special? Most people don't know what about them, so kind of explain. With with it's a Formula Two race, Formula Two race bike. Yeah, it's a it's a Formula Two race bike. It's a, not a street bike. Um, it's just made for racing and two strokes unlike four strokes they're they, they don't have valves they're a very right. specialized no engine light braking. machine no engine braking uh few parts excuse me very few parts very few parts and as far as tuning um they're delicate and but however once you get them right apparently it's the best thing in motorcycling exhilarating i mean when it works it works really well and there's nothing else like it i mean yeah, so as far as, uh, I always felt it was a black art to tune a two-stroke. Uh, you have to, there's a lot of variables involved. So, I mean, I, I can imagine it takes a year to set up something. A what, a year? A year to set up a bike as far as... A, oh, it's constant. It's constant. <laughs> so Every time you roll the bike out. Every time you go. Uh, like Chucky, I, I know you have a, uh, you're sponsored. You, you had tuners over the years. Did you have, uh, like, you know, Kenny had, I believe, Cal... You know, uh, do you have people that help you out there? Because to, 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 you've been a champion in the AMA, and, I mean, that's a huge effort. Yeah, it was um, – when I got my first 250s, Rich taught me how to work on them and do all the basic maintenance because that's what – that was part of his uh, his gig is that he knew how to tune that bike. Wasn't He never really turned over the reins to a tuner like I did later. Huh, but okay. um, he taught me how to read spark plugs, uh, read the tops of the pistons, and, and do all the basic maintenance. So the first uh, two 250s that I had, uh, I did all the work myself, and it wasn't until after that, like in 93, that I had my first mechanics. And in that situation, when I was like Rich's teammate uh, on 250s, you know, it was everybody, Rich overlooked the whole program, and then I had my mechanic, uh, and he had his, but yeah, Rich still watched over everything, and it was kind of like a school. So, yeah, it's it's nice to have um, the tutorial, uh, you know, someone teaching. I mean, I remember back at one point when I was with Dublin, uh, Dublin Kawasaki with you, and you mentioned at one point where you had this clay that you would actually put on the motor to could you get yeah. that much windage. Yeah. You know, just a tenth of a second means a huge thing, and you put it together and you'd shape some clay on there just to do that little... Oh. Yeah, I never learned how to do it myself. Rich was really good at it, and uh, Roland Cushway knows how to do it, I think, but I, I don't know that he, he really used it as much as Rich did. Rich, the idea with that is to uh, compress the um, the gases that are going in at a uh, at a cleaner rate and then a, a higher rate. Um, so you're taking up volume and you're trying to get a certain volume of uh, fuel to air in the engine. And you know, he's uh, which using, deals with the compression, more power. Or? Uh, yeah, I think the bikes were more efficient. They made more horsepower. Um, Bird yeah, Bird. Rich had some of the fastest Yamahas out there. It wasn't until the uh, the Aprilia that um, that it, it, w it was a completely different game. Nice. As far as uh, bikes, I mean, uh, Sergio's had several bikes over the years, and it, it seems like every generation of TZ250 was quite different. Uh, does, would they change rake and trails? Was it easier to tune the bike? Uh, cartridge? What, what was the deal with that? Well, Chuck, you probably know more about this. Um, I've my oldest well the latest bike is a 97 that i have so current your current race bike yeah. sergio is a 97 yeah okay I've just had older tz's but 
um, nothing newer than 97. Is it anything where you'll take some parts from a different TZ and older and combine them with a newer TZ yeah. to make a better thing? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I don't think the bikes changed a whole lot. I think from uh, about 96 uh, till the end of the bike. I mean, the only real advancements were probably a little bit of geometry change and then um, uh, the air boxes and, uh, and electronics. So they eventually uh, worked in Ram Air on these yes. bikes, but we, we tried to create that uh, when the bikes didn't have it. Before, beforehand, yeah. Yeah, yeah and that was uh, trying to get more air to the bike. But, um, yeah, they, I don't think they changed a whole lot until their, uh, their death. Gotcha. Well, I mean, when did they officially start racing, uh, stop racing the TZT formings, TZ250 bikes? Uh, myself? Well, I mean, in general, I mean, do they, they, obviously, I don't think they have the class anymore in the AMA. They don't. No, the, um, the bikes stopped being manufactured, and the last world championship year, I believe, was... 09 and that was uh more or less the end of the class in world championship um when moto 2 came along uh that's what uh replaced it and the spanish uh and europeans followed suit and uh killed the 250 class and made it uh moto 2 they kept 125s for i think another couple years and uh and then got moto 3 i think that was the progression four uh, yeah when you say it's moto 2 and moto 3 folks it, it means that they turn the race bikes into four stroke formula bikes which are still as exotic as the tz250s but they're, now they're uh, four stroke motors with valves and all that which i imagine takes as much maintenance if not more depending on the type of bike nope check it no, nope now they're really uh I have to find things to do, you know, other, wow. you could, if, and I haven't done this yet, but, um, there are so many adjustments with the chassis, like a 250 that, uh, I don't know where I'd go. I mean, I have the bike set up from the previous rider in Spain and, um, to me, these settings look great. And then I've matched them from like, uh, settings that I got from, uh, from Olin's technicians that say this is a geometry that should work well. And that's, uh, that's close to where my bike is at now, but I haven't tried like the, uh, I've probably got 10 different inserts, uh, for offset for the, for the forks, uh, the eccentric steering crowns. Yeah. Everything. Everything's eccentric, totally adjustable every, yep. way, every which way. Yeah. And then Total the, GP. the rear is the same too, completely adjustable. Nice. And, um, so yeah. that's your current race bike we're mentioning, right, Chucky? Yeah, this is a, a bike called a Calex, which is a German company. And they uh, created these chassis uh, back when the class started. And they've, they've come to dominate for the most part. They have about 70% of the grid. And there's only a couple other manufacturers. KTM super strong now, though, too. Yes. So um, a couple other independents like Speed Up and uh, Suter, uh, which make these gorgeous uh aluminum carbon <laughs> and titanium you know there's no there's no steel on those bikes at all so it's um it it was nice to get the bike like that you know i didn't have to convert it so you bought a basically you were uh, sponsored or bought a turnkey gp bike more or less yeah awesome yeah my uh my friend and um co-owner of the team is a guy named crispin barker and he has a construction company called barco donahue here in san francisco and um he is uh he's the guy i do the whole thing with we we started it last year our program with the uh with the aprilia and had a lot of fun um what aprilia were bike. you running last year it was a um sxv 550 and then you buy this kit from uh. spain that converts it to a road racer i actually took when the bike was still a supermoto i i came on a sunday morning ride on it uh, <laughs> and it was like a break-in for the engine um, but after that, uh, the bike got torn apart and we put this kit on it and it turns it into uh, a road racer as opposed to a supermoto bike. So it's complete different, different front end fairing rear sets, um, and like a tank cover. So it looks like a normal road race bike, but it was, it was a great concept. It was like 260 pounds and it made about 80 horsepower. So it was really fun to ride, but very temperamental. Kind of like, I think for a while, didn't they try to do like a CRF 450 and stuff oh, they, in a small frame? And Well, yeah, people still do that. You'll see some of those in club racing. Um, and there's a couple different 
uh, manufacturers of kits that uh, switch these dirt bikes over to uh, to road racers. So that gives it longevity because I always thought the the, the dirt bikes had a problem with maintaining high high uh, straight line top end speeds. They'd run out yeah. and blow themselves up because they ran out of oil. I think that happens, but um, <laughs> I think there's probably some way to make them last. I don't know. They they had the bike that I rode. They had a 450 class in England for several years i'm not sure if they still have it but it was the same thing that i that i had basically uh sxv road racer and um okay so it it was proven and they had a series yeah Uh, yeah so would you call that like um how do you say every man's racing formula bike (laughs) yeah but it's i mean those bikes are i think they take some money to take care of you know and the guy that built my motor uh for that bike he in the end, you know, when I was uh, frustrated and um, didn't want to do it anymore, uh, he's like, well, the way to go about this program is to have three engines and um, basically when one blows up, you know, you stick the other one in and we finish build. your race. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, finish the race. So you have to have actually those motor, motors uh, done. So you have them backed up. One goes during practice, two practices, Ready then go. you just go yeah. from there. Gotcha. Uh, boys, do you have any questions for Chucky? I want to. I want to know how you met Rich, Rich Oliver. I mean, you say- uh, yeah. So Rich Oliver actually, when he was uh, in between jobs, he had just finished the 250 season privateer by himself, and um, and he uh, he was about to get the ride for Kenny Roberts riding the 500. And he came and worked in the parts department at Dublin Kawasaki for like uh, six months or something. But wow. we became friends at that point, and then he started taking me out uh, training and uh, riding dirt bikes. Uh, all my experience before that was on the street and uh, didn't didn't have that aspect to it. So that's uh, that's how we met, and he he really took me under his wing, and um, you know my uh, learning curve went super steep. You know, like from 91 uh i was uh was top three and 250 in afm which was a big class back then it was like 30 bikes oh yeah i remember and, uh, those days. it was uh guys like pete winsloff uh ken kunisugu uh jason payton and i was on that uh that first bike and i started doing top threes uh almost immediately wow so it was uh after that i bought a brand new 92 and then i i split it in between uh afm i won an fp race um against donnie green uh wow. up there and then um <laughs> these are all I, famous names then i did uh i did ama races and uh we were races that year uh, and Rich would actually take me to the races in his truck with a trailer, and we would uh, we'd do a privateer effort like that. So it, it was pretty cool. It was a great way to be exposed to it. And after that, he uh, we he got a new sponsor called uh, Performance South, which was uh, these guys back east who love GP bikes, and um, he talked them into having me as their teammate, uh, uh, as his teammate. And so my bike got shipped back east, and um, we did a whole national series, and it was uh, it was great. That was my first introduction. Nice. So as far as uh, licensing-wise, I mean, we're AFM, and then you just jump into the AMA, but it's, it sounds to me like obviously you had some natural talent, and then from there you were able to go out there and do your job because even though some people have money and they have all the cl- you know, bikes in the world, it really takes a lot of gumption to go out there desire. and go to that level yeah you know to, to, to have that desire to do, yep. do such you know yeah i think that's what what mainly drives it Wait, you got any questions it wasn't Oh, sorry, wait. No, all right. So as far as uh, getting into the uh, two-strokes and talking about uh, desire and levels and such, uh, there seems to be a resurgence of certain type of machinery. And uh, when I first met you, you know, uh, I love you to death, Chuck, but then one day you came in and said, oh, you boys put the slicks on some KX500. Went out and going to the, the, the parking lot and just started sliding Business everywhere. Park. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like, I guess... Uh, Super Motarden before he was, before, was out there. Before it began, yeah. There was a guy, um, I'm not going to remember his name, but he had this KX500 set up for road racing at Sears. 
and um and so it was just sitting there they weren't using it and we're and and i said to him you know do you mind if i if i borrow that thing and uh go use it and he's like yeah no problem so we took it to uh business park in uh livermore and uh that's a fantastic set up yeah, we set up we'd set up a course in a parking lot, and then you know you'd always set up the uh, some of the turns to where you had it. You know, when you get to the apex of the turn, you know you gotta you gotta open it up, and then the bike slides all the way out. You know, on the power when a KX five hundred you know hits its power band, it's uh, it's a little alarming. But it would it, it had a it had a Dunlop five ninety one on the back, and so it would just light up immediately. Beautiful, beautiful. So K five ninety one on the back. Um, back then, those were dual ply. So basically, you were going out there to learn to slide. Yeah, I got high sided off that thing a couple <laughs> times, really bad. Like we took it to that. Kenny's ranch, and he has a uh, he had a go kart track, uh, YSR track in his front yard, um, nice. part of the driveway. Wow! But it was like it had eight turns, and. We were riding that thing around there, and then the rear wheel slipped into the uh, the grass, and it, it just completely slammed me. It was uh, it was a huge high side. Wow. So you ran out of course, and then ended up uh, whoop, being in the, in the weeds. Yeah, I rang my bell. You know, I saw stars. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Holy moly. Wade right now has a certain type of crazy machinery where he just put a, uh, how do you say, uh, well, he's got a DTR1, which is a Dirt Track R1, which I always imagined, you know, Chucky, you really are qualified to take this bad boy out. Uh, yes. No, don't, don't <laughs> tempt me. I've watched, I've watched the videos several times, and um, yeah, it looks like fun, but uh, hey, no thanks. <laughs> well, back in the old days, correct me if I'm wrong, on um, Kenny Roberts Ranch, I mean, um, the, uh, a lot of learning how to get used to sliding and desensitizing yourself to, I guess, being out of control at speed, they ran the XR100s. Yeah, I actually bought my first XR from Kenny. It was uh, on the side of a shed, not running. It was just stripped of parts, but um, parts he bike. sold it to me for 100 bucks, <laughs> and, uh, and I took it home and built it and put a 120 kit. Everybody always, the, the fun thing about that was everybody was you know trying to do their best at cheating. And the 150 kits at the time were total time bombs. Uh, but you know, if somebody was out there with a 150, you could you could totally tell. I mean, the thing would would walk a 120 easy. Just get up and go away. <laughs> so yeah, learning to slide a bike. Uh, you know, 250s are really more about momentum. But when they do slide, you got to know what to do. And so um, that kind of training, I think, was key in being able to save you know crashes and um you know learning to slide the front too so you're just um well not just i mean you're going at speed but at a tenth of a second you're able to adjust accordingly and you know fractionally to get the bike um, uh sorted out yeah yeah i mean and then out there they had all the equipment to take care of the track we had a water truck and then a um uh, a tractor with a tiller so at the ranch yeah Holy yeah Lord. i mean there was uh the place was really well taken care of back then yeah well i mean they have a, a new ranch uh, ranch out there um there's this guy that they uh, i don't know if you guys know him called valentino rossi and he's over <laughs> in europe right now and he has a big old ranch out there which is um something that we all dream about having and they, they go out there and they learn how to slide i guess yeah that's uh, the next generation of what kenny did and and i think rossi's probably taking it to a different level truly truly um you know he's got his own road race team and he's uh you know turning an italian talent into uh eventually going to be superstars yeah uh, there well, you go. Uh, i think europeans um they seem to have a better program for up-and-coming racers yeah i mean than here in america right now it's always seemed to be a AMA has always been a little bit uh, come and go, so to speak. Yeah, in Spain, um, motorcycle racing, uh, GP racing is only second to football over there. You know, so it's uh, it, it's at a whole different level, and uh, you know, there's a lot of people a lot of that have um, investment in um, you know bringing up those riders. So yeah, it's, I mean, uh, definitely. I mean, um, yeah, like you say, more enthusiasm over there in Europe. 
All right. We're going to take a little break for a second. We'll be back in about five minutes. I hope you all enjoy listening. Uh, all right. I'll see you guys soon. this music <laughs> I do I just heard about three seconds of it but I, I recognize it now do you recognize it <laughs> yes Clave del Gumbo now tell me Jamie you and Orchestra Dharma are going to be performing at Gallo Center for the Arts coming up March 30th is that right that's correct March 30th in the Foster Family Theater 730 the Gallo Center for the Arts 730 so how do they get tickets? Go to the Gallo site, or do you have another yeah, way? Yeah, yeah, org. You can get tickets uh, directly from them. Oh, terrific. Now, it's my understanding you're coming into the city right now, right? You're on speakerphone? That's right. I'm, I'm in my car driving to the Mission District. That's where you are, right? Yes, we're right here at 21st Street and Florida Street in the Mission District, San Francisco. Yeah, I'm headed to uh, Rocapulco. Uh, on mission. Rocapulco, that's cool. Yeah, uh, Luis Enrique um, is playing there tonight, and I'm uh, fortunate to be in a band uh, backing him up. You're backing him up with your trombone? Yeah, the, 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 you know, about a 10-piece band, four horns, and, and uh, his music director from Miami, and uh, I guess he's I think he flew in uh, today, so we're going to meet him for the sound check and run some tunes and then play the show. The show's at 10.30 in Rocapulco's night, Luis Enrique. 10.30 tonight? Yeah. So that's really great. If people have been doing a pub crawl all day long, they come in there and they want a samba. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Get their groove on, work some of those, some of that corned beef and cabbage off. Absolutely, and you've definitely got the grooves to do that. So, who else will be playing with you today? Oh, uh, today's great, great band. A lot of colleagues of mine in the Bay Area, um, Arnasto, Mazar, uh, Kindilan on bass, uh, Eric Peralta on piano. Stephen Kewen, the co-leader of Pacific Mambo on trumpet, uh, Bill Ortega on trumpet, another band, a lot of band leaders. Vinny uh, Torres on saxophone, also for Pacific Mambo, and um, Armando Cordoba and Cristel Durandi singing backup, uh, singing backup, uh, backup uh, chorals, and uh, yeah, so it's a great, great lineup, and uh, so we're looking forward to playing with uh, Luis tonight at Rock And I'd just like to remind everybody listening, uh, Jamie Deberly, you mentioned Pacific Mambo a few times. Those are the same guys you were in on a CD that actually got a Latin Jazz Grammy, am I correct? Yeah, that's right. Back in uh, 2013. Yeah, uh, it doesn't seem that long ago. My gosh, time's gone so fast. It doesn't, I know. I know. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, best tropical Latin album uh, at the Grammy. Best tropical Latin. I just love your sound no matter what you're doing. If it's at Bark and Dog Grill with everybody on the lineups for the Blue Monday Jam or everywhere you go, you've just got like master musicians surrounding you and a big party waiting to happen. <laughs> well, thank you, Jen. I really appreciate that. <laughs> no problem, Jamie. Really, really awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, drive safely and uh, give me the address one more time. Where can we find you tonight? Oh, uh, Rocapoco is on mission. Um, it's it's uh, near so the corner, right off the corner Check of Cesar Chavez. So it's like, I think between 27th and 28th. I think that's it. But it's, it's just a block away from the corner of Mission and Cesar Chavez. Yeah, that um, makes a lot of sense. 
there. All right. Welcome back to Racers Alley. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the break. Boy, you know, we have all these greats tonight, and uh, Steve from Forever Two Wheels is here, and uh, Mutiny Radio, he has another motorcycle show from 8 to 10 on Mondays, and tune in. It's a nice show, and they've been on here for quite some time. Steve, how you doing, mate? I'm doing well. Thanks awesome. for having me. Uh, very glad you're here. I mean, obviously, we have some great talent here tonight, and uh, any have any questions? Yeah, uh, I, I date back the early AFM days myself, or the late 80s, early 90s, and I do remember Rich Oliver. We were just discussing <laughs> off air. Uh, his wife let me duct tape, and I didn't know they have went their separate ways. <laughs> A little behind the times. Uh, did You said she might have worked on your bike or something like that? Or? Yeah, uh, when I bought my first 250, uh, I didn't have any idea about tuning. And so both Rich and then uh, Rich asked me to hire Karen for the day. You know, I paid her a hundred bucks or something like that. Come out Oregon. and tune my bike on a practice day at Sears Point, and um, you know, I I kind of learned from those guys as far as uh, reading the uh, spark plugs and the pistons uh, for how the bike's running, jetting, and then um, you know, we used another we used another instrument called a density gauge, which showed air density, and so if you you basically have a chart and you look at the density you consider humidity and then the bike should have this jetting these number of um you know the the size of jet for um for these conditions yeah usually track to track you kind of keep that from year to year right so you have a baseline to go next year everything was written down yeah there's uh 15 years of notebooks you know and that's just the that's the tuning of bikes and then i have my racing notes that i use uh as far as uh, what I'm doing on the racetrack. That being gotcha. said, uh, I really want to say something to interject here. Um, when I first met Chuck, uh, I was a newbie uh, racer, and I had an FCR 400 stock uh, in 1989, and Willow Springs was one of my tracks, and I went out there, and I came back last. But, I'm, you know, it's my first year out there, and Chucky being Chucky, is like, uh, Alex, okay, so first thing he said... Uh, Start drawing the turns, start drawing the lines, start drawing the holes, make notes. I have extensive notes, like you mentioned, from the day I started racing. Got all these little books. I'd be sitting at the bar and drawing the, the notes and uh, what turn, what gear. I mean, it, it was a huge, huge, great piece of advice. I mean, you gave me personally the uh, sheet that you used that I still use to this day that I just put Rat Brothers Racing on top of. But it has air temp. I mean, it's a it's a it's a sheet, and it has uh, all all the information for the bike for the race day. You know, it's everything you need. And when I finally, actually, was uh, comfortable on the four hundred, let's say like ninety seven eight, uh, I just look at my book, set it up for a Sears Point that day. Suspension, tires, everything was already there because it's like an almanac, and and, and it was really yeah. great. That it, it, to have that i still have it i'm gonna I'm, I'm trying to get out there back now and i'm gonna do the same thing i mean if you go out there i i couldn't do it at the aisle because i'd never too much but uh yeah as yeah. far as uh when I, I'm, I'm starting to race again uh, i have a little teething problems as you both know but um i have my sheet and i fill it out every time i'm there and it, it's great to have that information to look at you know because it, it tells you exactly where you're at what you go in your notes yeah, I think it works for some people. I mean, I mean, I, I know plenty of racers who are uh, a lot faster than me that don't use written notes for what they're doing uh, on the motorcycle, on the racetrack. You know, that's not how those guys, those kind of guys work, and they're still really fast. But my uh, my thought always my thought always was that um, you know if I can do this work on paper, you know, I'm going to save money and tires. You know, doing it out there on the track. And I think when it comes down to it, when you're uh, negotiating a, a road race course, you need to act like a computer in a sense, uh, still with lots of feeling, but you need to do consistently the same thing every lap. And um, if you, you know, for me, that works where I train my brain like that and, uh, and I'm able to write Think it, it ahead. down. Yeah. And basically, you always play a movie in your mind before you go out, but... Like yourself, I'd like to do uh, the, uh, well, I like to have everything on paper. I mean, I know Wade, Wade's been my uh, 
teammate for a boy, you know, who knows how long since 1999, I guess. And uh, there you go. Yeah, it was, seriously, uh, I met Wade uh, shortly after I got rid of the 400. Well, I didn't get rid of the, the bike died, but uh, I ended up <laughs> on the front row to the last day, eight years on that 400. You know, and, yeah, it was a great uh, bike. From there, I got the yeah, I love that bike because I didn't have the smarts or the person to get a TZ. I always felt I couldn't I, 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 I couldn't afford the track time loss by me actually blowing it up, you know, and it really does take something. Am I wrong? Yeah, everyone's silent. <laughs> no, I mean, I, yeah, there there's four strokes now. They're just as expensive. But, yeah, I mean, maintaining um, one of those bikes takes a little bit of a budget. But I don't think it's I don't think it's crazy, personally. Um, not really. I mean, you, you got to do your homework before so you prevent, you know, those... Catastrophic feelings. Fuck-ups. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, yeah. Uh, Sergio, Uh-oh. now, I mean, uh, you pretty much... I mean, you've been riding your bike all these years. Uh, you're pretty much kitted. Um, well, I know my bike pretty well. And like, like Chucky said, you know, you do your homework and you, you know, you, you write down your notes and all that. And, you know, if you hear like some of the MotoGP racers talk about the rhythm, you know, yeah, for sure. It's a good rhythm. And when you're riding, that's what it is. You know, like you're not thinking about these things. You're just riding and you get into a rhythm and, um, it pretty th- high. Yes. And I think that like, you know when it seems really hard and you're like you're just struggling and it's really slow and when it's when you're in your rhythm it's it's easy it's, it's just it's yeah yeah it's i mean that's what racing i mean uh, obviously i've been totally fighting this year and it's i had to take a, club, a couple of months off to step back but you know fix the bike and get out there just finish one race but sometimes that costs few a ra- few weekends which can be rather frustrating but um I work at Tokyo Moto, and uh, as far as folks go, I just talked to this guy the other day. Hey, I'm at Thunder Hill. You know, I, here's what's happened. I go, got to pack it in, brother. You know, before you leave everything all over the track. Uh, you know, here you are, yeah. I mean, it's racers. You don't want to do that, but the last thing you want to do is leave everything all over the track, and everyone's in, you know how that is. Well, I'll say, so. you know, you'll wise up pretty quick after a few blow-ups and crashes. Uh, you know, you start... Writing a little bit better. Well, we all start, you know, and then from there we go on and go from there. Uh, as far as, uh, Chucky, what, what are your plans right now? Uh, I, I hear you're developing that bike, and uh, who are your sponsors? Who's, I hear the name Joe Sullivan. Yeah, uh, so um, this name. one right here, James Sadal of uh, Super I'd, Plush, I'd love to have is him on the show. He's one of my um, yeah. longtime friends. He, he owned the teams that I won my first two championships on uh, in AMA. Um, and, and that was what years? What, that was 99 and 2000. 99 and 2000. And yeah. what were you running? Uh, those were Yamaha TZs. TZ he, um, he was importing at the time uh, race bikes from Japan. And so my, my first nice. bike was uh, what, what you would call a rat, what James used to call a rat stinker. And it was, <laughs> uh, it was a beat up, you know, there was rash all over the body work, you know. Well, you don't have to worry about it. Wasn't, it wasn't pretty, but um, back then we had a guy named uh, Rainey. I can't remember his last Wayne? name. But, huh? Wayne Rainey? No. No. <laughs> his, the, this, guy, this guy's name, first name was, uh, was Rainey. And he was supposedly Swedish, but he was building the motors, and um, he had some good knowledge. The bikes were fast. And, uh, yeah, I did 80, or I'm sorry, 98. Uh, I didn't, I think I finished third in the championship or something. And then 99, I won at 2000 and then 2002 was on an Aprilia, uh, RSW, which is a a real, it's the real GP bike. So they, those bikes came from Queens university team, which was a world championship team. And, uh, it was called QBC, I think. And, um, those were the real deal. I mean, it made 10 more horsepower than a TZ. Yeah, uh, as far as the Aprilia's went, I mean, but that was a, you bought a, a I guess, a super bike team level, GP level uh, bike? Yeah, that's what, that, it came straight from the World Championship. So it's a kit so it, it was, uh, well, I mean, the these uh, RSWs at the time, they weighed uh, 10 pounds less than a TZ. And it made like another 10 horse. Now explain for my listeners exactly what that means. Well. Like how many pounds is 10 pounds less? 
Oh, it weighed 200 pounds. 200 201. Pounds. Yeah, 201 it was, pounds. Yeah, and, um, made 100 now, horse. 100 horsepower yeah. and a 201 pound bike. I mean, um, if it all was you a, guys smoke crack, it's the same. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, those engines were different. They were what they call a disc valve, um, where uh, a normal TZ uses what they call a reed valve. This has a disc, and so it has a time disc on works off of the crank that's carbon fiber and that's what times the fuel load into the engine and it interesting feels completely different than a tz wow so, so power was different like more like a honda cbr or no it was it, it was, was just more tractable it was like a really the thing had a really loud bark to it uh as far as its exhaust tone you know it was a much more throaty yeah. than a tv than a tz um but uh on the top end the thing would would just keep going you know so much harder in comparison to the tz it just kept going yeah wow. it didn't seem to nice. have a, a limit it was clocked uh i was clocked in the 2002 it's at daytona um 174 uh, on the front straight wow and uh and we won that race awesome so it was uh, nice. a little boy jesus christ yeah Man. daytona was uh, one of the best wins awesome so when right you on. say that i mean um I've always wanted to go there. I don't know, Sergio, if you've ever been there. Nope, I've never uh, been. Steve, you ever been there? Uh, no. I haven't. It's nope. always been like my, um, how do you say, uh, you know, bucket list thing. Bucket and, uh, list. Wade is just... Yeah, what do you there, think, uh, Wade? Recently, right? Yeah, I just, I went there like two years ago and, and last year. And I'm way in the back, but I'm totally happy to be there. Got an R6. It's now it's a pretty fun track. It's yeah, it's really well. Nice. It's historic, like Laguna. And I can't imagine being on the bikes. I want to do that. I've been it's, on Laguna in 1990. <laughs> that was the first time I went. But otherwise, so yeah. I did it. However, uh, Daytona's always been like I've always read about it. It's, all about, years, you know yep. it's I mean? all about the banks. Yep, it's all about the banks. Yeah, I can't imagine the. Uh, you're basically sideways, looking yeah. up and down. Well, actually, you're looking it, straight, going yeah. a million miles It's a hour. straightaway that bends kind of forever. You just yeah. got to know that it's a straightaway. Blindly go up there and just <laughs> keep it pin, 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 pin. And you'll come out the other side, and, and there's kind of a straightaway. Things get a little weird out of the turn, too, because the transition is weird. Until you got to, like, let the bike do it. Don't overthink it. Let the bike do it. It'll do it right. Nice. Um, but yeah, really nice. You end up forgetting about the infield. The banks are so nice. What bike were you on? I was basically an R6. We took the Guzzi. Oh, the purple one. We just had a picture on for the... Uh, we now have yeah. a uh, Facebook site, RER. And uh, we're going to get on Twitter soon. Find us at Meeting and Radio. We're, we're getting ready to go here. And I'd like to... Uh, Chuck and... Uh, Please thank your sponsors for being here. It's been a pleasure being here. And I have to say one thing. I've never heard Sergio and, you know, Wade be so quiet. Not saying <laughs> Really? Yeah, they're just sitting here listening to you the whole time. Nah, it's come stories. on. Go, no, I thought they were just being quiet. <laughs> yeah, you're fascinating. I'm sure we'll have you on the show again soon. Cause I'd love to. Because we haven't to. even touched the, the realm of, you know, our histories. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it was a long time. Like I said, maybe it's 30 years. Get these guys to talk and ask questions next time. And it's been a pleasure having you here. Uh, thank your sponsors, please. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Uh, Barco Donahue uh, Construction here in San Francisco is my uh, title sponsor. Um, showy Helmets and uh, SPS Suspension, Super Plush, James did all there. And. Uh, Barf Barry Riders Forum. They're actually one of my sponsors. We want to thank the AFM and the AMA as well. Sure. I mean, they've always taken great clubs. Yeah, I'm I'm proud to be part of it again. And uh, right now, Wade, I mean, who would you like to thank as far as sponsors and Sergio as well? Well, I'd like to thank Roland Cushway. He does a lot of work on my on my motor these days, and um, that guy's insane. And literally, he is insane. But uh. And also the, um, the tire guy, you know, he's helped out a lot. So Robbie Motor Tire guys helped us all out. Yeah, he he changes the uh, slicks on my Moto Two bike. Oh, very very nice. <laughs> yeah, he does tires for all of us. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for uh, being here, and uh, all of you, uh, 
Well, we'll see you in the next show. And come out to the next AFM race. Right? It's coming up uh, September right 2nd. Here. September 2nd. And I believe that they're having an AMA uh, pro race or something here right in August. Two weeks, yeah. Two I weeks think. right uh-huh. now. All right, guys. See you soon. All right. Cheers. I was so glad to be invited by Aaron Rowan to see Jillian Grassi and her band performing last Sunday over at Congregation Beth Shalom in Modesto. A really great location. They do host music every other Sunday. If you missed it, the next one is coming up in April. Got to check out their schedule. It's going to be their final one of the season. But for Sunday night this week on the 18th, don't forget to check out Moon and Sixpence on 9th Street Modesto. They've got a great lineup tonight. Uh, tomorrow night. We're going to be watching Dirty Cello again. Where Aaron finds him, I don't know. But right now he's returning on a flight from Panama. Got to introduce himself to that area with some friends and uh, can't wait to hear his stories. He's been a guest on our show before here. Helps to support MutinyRadio.fm. If you'd like to be a supporter, don't forget, hit that donate button. We came up a little shy on our last fundraiser, and we'd love to keep bringing you guys all the information that helps your world go round, all the sounds, all the talents around you that otherwise you might miss. We'd hate for that to happen. So give us a ring. Come on by. Or just go online, hit that donate button. We're going to be here as long as you let us. Uh, Meanwhile, I am just enjoying the fact that so many of my friends are checking in. There's a lot going on out there with Lucky Fest Modesto. Uh, Nobody's quite drunk enough to call me yet, so we're not going to have any drunk dials before 4 o'clock, I don't think. But they do have over 25 pubs built from the ground up to celebrate one day only 21 and up of course go get your tickets luckyfestmodesto.com and go check it out downtown modesto i hope you guys are having a rocking good time always good music always good people always good friends so knocking it out of the park we're going to be putting up some more music for you and uh i'm gonna start this one from the beginning hang on one sec Let's hear some more from Jillian Grassi.
lot of love. Julian Grassi, The Woodland Sessions. I hope you guys get any of her CDs. Check her out. Meanwhile, with a little bit of the tunes playing, I'm going to remind you, April 7th and 8th, from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., over 60 participating artists, Stanislaus Artist Open Studio Tour is back this spring, April 7th and 8th. Mark your calendars. Again, 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. What you can do is you get the map for $10. Under 18 is free with an adult. And it has examples of the artwork from each of the artists that are going to be opening up their studios to the public. You can go to, uh, let's see, let's pick one out here. Betty Jean Reynolds still showing at 2409 Sherwood Avenue, Modesto. Watercolor pen and ink and over watercolor with touches of calligraphy. Uh, you can get more from each of these artists just by getting one of these booklets, filling out your little card, getting it dropped in for the drawing. And they actually have some specific winners, some prize selections that you can win art from going to this. Get, again, get a copy of your Stanislaus Artist Open Studio with all the maps, introductions to what types of art each of the artists will provide. Uh, there's a drawing entry form under the first cover. To enter, leave this form at any artist studio. No copies accepted. Please write clearly. And uh, this helps maintain a record of attendees in order to keep you up to date on future open studio events. And the wonderful thing about this, you enter to win one of the original artworks pictured on the cover. There's a ceramic vase by Don Hall. There's Beekman's Lavender Farm Watercolor by Barbara Gill. Headland's Path Painting by Henrietta Sparkman. Grape Leaves Photograph by Lorraine Nelson. Available. Many artists to get to know in the Stanislaus County area. Again, 62 artists participating. The booklet is only $10. You can keep it all year. You can go and meet with these artists at any given time that works for them if this weekend doesn't work for you. And remember to support the arts. So, part of the participating sponsors of this event, Missling Gallery, Central California Art Association, where they have art exhibitions, art education, and a community of artists. They have a 2000